Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. It's the beginning of the end. Da, da, da. Final season begins. That angers me that he can't fold that pizza. I had the same note. Wait, do you but, not like that part of the movie? Because no, that's, no, that's no, no, the no. movie. No. I thank God every day I know the lyrics to enter the same man. <laughs> after brutal dumping. No, that sounds terrible. <laughs> after, <laughs> after I took a brutal dump. <laughs> Hi, I'm Mike Butler. And I'm Mike Field. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that for a variety of reasons was forgotten by audiences, whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time or the film simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie or maybe don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. If you enjoy our podcast, we want to hear from you. We're on Instagram and Facebook. Find us. Our podcast is available on all platforms with a backlog of over 175 episodes for your listening pleasure. What's going on? Nothing. Just, uh, you know, hunting down a serial rapist while my wife cheats on me. And, uh, yeah, whoa, she, whoa, 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 yeah, whoa, you know, whoa, 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 A lot of weird stuff happening. Stop revealing things. <laughs> <laughs> so we are doing the movie Malice from 1993. But before we start, if you haven't seen this film, don't listen to the podcast. Don't listen to this episode because <laughs> we're going to reveal some certain twists and turns that happen because I think this is one of the movies that you, you, you don't want to know going in. I think it can, uh, especially the first time. Uh, so again, if you have not seen malice from 1993, don't listen to this podcast episode right now. Go listen to one of our other ones. <laughs> then go watch malice and then listen to this episode. Yes, please earmark it. Go watch malice. Come back. And then listen to what we have to say. Or if you um, don't care about spoilers, just keep on listening, man. <laughs> <laughs> Who are so we to direct your life? <laughs> Suburban Boston professional couple Andy and Tracy become entangled with cocky trauma surgeon Dr. Jed Hill, <laughs> an old classmate of Andy's whom they invite to become their tenant in the large Victorian home they're renovating. Things become even more tangled when college dean Andy that's not what he is, becomes implicated in a campus serial rape investigation. And Jed performs an emergency surgery on Tracy with unforeseen complications that disrupt all their lives. Andy is not a college dean. He's an associate professor of, he's an associate professor of students or something like that. I thought he was a, uh, assistant dean. No, he's a, he's of students. He's something of students. It was like an assistant or associate. It wasn't, it wasn't like a, he wasn't making a lot of money. Let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, so Malice has a runtime of 107 minutes. Where did R production budget of $20 million? It came out on October 1st, 1993. That was a Friday. It's opening weekend. It did $9.2 million domestic 46.4 million international 14.7 for a worldwide total of $61 million. Pretty good. Not bad. Not bad. Not bad. Mm-hmm. Production company was Castle Rock Entertainment, New Line Cinema, and Nelvana Limited. It was distributed by Columbia Pictures in the United States and internationally by New Line International Releasing. Came out on October 1st. It went up against in a wide release for Lover Money. Cool Runnings. Excuse me. Cool Runnings. I don't know if the cool actually, if you could hear me say cool, I kind of felt my voice crack there. <laughs> a Bronx Tale and The Age of Innocence. 
Bronx Tales, the uh, highlight of that weekend, if I if I must say so myself. Oh, whoa! Cool Runnings ain't no slouch, man. Cool Runnings is okay. It's, I feel like you need to feel the rhythm, no, and feel the rhyme. I don't. <laughs> I mean, it's come funny. on, field. It's, it's Bob's that time. It's just not, you know, not enough. <laughs> <laughs> you had a limited release of M Butterfly and Shortcuts that same weekend. The week after, October eighth, you had in a wide release. Demolition Man, a favorite here for Forgotten Cinema. Oh, yeah. Mr. Jones and the movie Mr. Nanny. Those are not similar movies. They're just Mr. Jones and Mr. Nanny. <laughs> uh, limited release of Gettysburg, Deadfall, and Ruby in Paradise. And then the week before, September 24th, 1993, in a wide release, you had The Good Son, the movie that everybody cheered at the end when she chose her son's friend. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that? Did you see that? I've seen the ending of it, but I've actually That's, not seen the actual movie. Oh, movie. So, really? Yeah. It's so been spoiled for me. We're in, I saw that in the theater and everyone cheered at that scene. They were like, yeah. <laughs> it was like, it was like, oh man. I mean, she chose right. But anyways, you also had the program, which I saw when I was in college uh, and, and Warlock, the Armageddon, and then a limited release of a little known movie called Dazed and Confused. And if you have never seen Dazed and Confused, I highly recommend it. This film was directed by Harold Becker, who's done Taps, Sea of Love, and Mercury Rising. So you had a story screenplay credit by Aaron Sorkin, and he had a screenplay credit by Scott Frank. So they both had parts of the screenplay. Then you had a story credit of Jonas McCord. Aaron Sorkin, if you don't know already, has won an Oscar for The Social Network. He also was nominated for The Trial of Chicago 7, Molly's Game, and Moneyball. Scott Frank was nominated for two Oscars, one for Logan and the other for Out of Sight. And they also did The Lookout. And then Jonas McCord has done Reagan and the TV show The Young Riders. I believe Reagan is new. It's coming out. Uh, cinematographer was Gordon Willis, who was nominated for an Oscar for The Godfather Part 3. He also was nominated for Zelig, and he did All the President's Men, a pretty famous cinematographer, if you don't know already. I think we talked about him already once because he did. What movie did he do? He did another movie of ours a couple weeks ago, I think. I can't remember which one, though. Okay. Composer was Jerry Goldsmith, who was nominated for 18 Oscars. And he's won one for The Omen. He also was, uh, also was nominated for LA. Uh, I don't know if he's nominated for LA Confidential, but he did do LA Confidential, which I like that score quite a bit. He did a lot of Star Trek. Star Trek? Okay. Yeah. Edited by David Bretherton, who was won an Oscar for Cabaret. He's also edited Clue, which was an episode we did, and the movie Westworld, not the TV show. Harold Becker, Charles Mulvihill, and Rachel Pfeiffer, or Pfeffer, excuse me, were the producers. Becker's on City Hall and Domestic Disturbance. Uh, Mulvihill Hill has done Proof of Life and Dolores Claiborne. And Pfeffer has done A Few Good Men and A Civil Action. Uh, Alec Baldwin plays Jed, nominated for an Oscar for The Cooler. He's also in The Departed and The Hunt for October, to name a few. Nicole Kidman as Tracy. She won an Oscar for her role in The Hours. She also was nominated for Being the Ricardos. She's been nominated for five Oscars total. Bill Pullman as Andy. I can't. Everyone, because he's Andy, all I kept thinking about was Toy Story. Uh, <laughs> he's obviously in Independence Day Spaceballs in the TV show The Sinner Phoebe Newworth as Dana from the TV show Frasier uh, and Cheers she's also in Jumanji the original and Summer of Sam uh, George C. Scott as Dr. Kessler won an Oscar for Patton he was nominated for an Oscar for Anatomy of a Murder The Hustler and The Hospital and Bancroft as Mrs. Miss Kensinger she won an Oscar for The Miracle Worker. She's been nominated for Oscars in the following films, The Pumpkin Eater, The Graduate, The Turning Point, and Agnes of God. Peter Gallagher as Dennis Riley. He's in American Beauty and While You Were Sleeping. Joseph Summer as Lester Adams. Uh, he's in Dirty Harry, Strange Days, and Witness. 
Tobin Bell as Earl Lemus. He's in all the Saw films, or most of them, I guess. And he's also in The Firm. And then you had a little had Gwyneth Paltrow in here as Paula Bell, as one of the victims of the serial rapist. And then Joshua Molina as a resident. If you, you know, blink, you missed them. Uh, those are the only cameras like I remember me. Or a couple of things, people that look familiar, but I didn't, I didn't write them down. All right. I had seen this film. Butler had not. And I remember, I remember last episode, I said to you, I'm a little worried that I'm not going to like this film as much as I did back, uh, back then. I, I still like it. It's not perfect. I'm going to guess what you thought of it, but I'm going to let you talk first and then I'll let you know if I, I was even close. So what'd you think? Well, first of all, Gordon Willis, uh, cinematographer of the paper chase, which was two or three seasons ago. Right, right. I remember uh, that. Now I remember that because we were talking about how he was lighting naturalistically. It was dark and he, you know, like we're talking yeah. about. Now I remember. Yes. Yep. Uh, also, what do you think I think of this movie? I'm I curious. Think you love, I think you love the dialogue. I think you love the, the, I think Alec Baldwin is really, really good in this film. Um, but I think that it does fall up the plot wise. There is some, there's some issues, but that's what I think you think of it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, this is like that's a monologue to use like whenever you audition for anything. That monologue, that was monologue's used fucking a lot. awesome. That is like a, <laughs> I, and I put it in my story, and I didn't want to use the quote from the monologue because they didn't want to ruin it for you. But that <laughs> monologue in the in the courtroom, in the in the, when he's doing the, I'm not the courtroom, they're doing the, um, what is the, the not the what the hell, what the hell is it called? Not the deliberations or whatever. Yeah, when they're doing that, that is phenomenal that that monologue i love that monologue but you you, you must love it right <laughs> if you're looking for god who's in operating room number two oh on november god. 17th he's so good in that too he's so who do you think when they're back on their knees who do you think they're praying, praying to? to you ask me if i have a god complex let me tell you something i am god <laughs> this this meeting's over <laughs> i was like yeah <laughs> that was awesome uh but yeah the plot is Fucking stupid. I, I don't really. It's the oh man, the 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 serial rapist stuff is so dumb. It's another movie that they're like shoehorning into it. It's like they were like, uh, I yeah. got this idea for this other movie. Let's just cram it in here because no one wants to make that movie. So I have not an explanation, but I uh, I can see why it's in there in this movie. So again, like we're gonna spoil stuff. So there's two different movies in here, obviously. One is that Jed and Tracy, more so Tracy, have come up with this con to sue the hospital, get all this money. You know, it, it's so it's really it's I'm trying to explain it now in my head. I'm like, it's really convoluted. But she is faking that she has she's giving herself that she has issues with her ovaries. The plan is that she's going to go in. Jed's going to go in there and operate and he's going to take a healthy ovary out saying that it was necrotic saying that it was bad, but he was ending up doing it himself, I guess he, uh, yeah, he the, was in there. The person doing the pathology was the pathologist wasn't there to actually tell right. him it was. So there was a big setup and, and, but she was giving herself injections to make herself feel, make herself have these pains, make her make her injure one of the ovaries, like speed it up. Right. Take out the, she, they're, they're pretending they're not together, but taking out the over, she's married to Andy, obviously. They take out the healthy ovary. They sue. They're going to make the money. They're going to split the money. That's basically what's going to end up happening. And they're going to frame. And I guess they're not really framing Andy. They're just kind of, she's leaving Andy. She's they're leaving him off. in the dust. Yeah. Right. So, so that's the one movie. And then the other movie is that there's a serial rapist on campus. Um, and as soon as I saw Tobin Bell walk in with the, uh, 
when he when Paul oh with the file leaves. cabinet yeah. yeah I'm like it's Tobin Bell it's Tobin Bell I have the same no I go maybe it's Pullman maybe he's not such a nice guy and then Alec Baldwin came and go no he's he's the rapist and then Tobin <laughs> Bell showed up with the file cabinet as the janitor I was just like no he's yeah. the rapist so there's that whole other second movie and the only and, and I'm not saying that this is my justification for it but the only uh, what I can think that they 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 did with this part or maybe somebody had this conversation was that Andy doesn't really ever become proactive in his own life. He doesn't really ever do. He's always looked upon as meek through this movie until he stops the rape, the serial rapist in the basement until he fights him back. And at that point, obviously uh, Dana, the BB newer's character tells him about how, um, you know, she was pregnant. The, the blood type. Or, the yeah, kid wasn't his. Yeah. The kid wasn't or no, his. he was sterile. He was sterile. Right. Like, so, and, but that, and that kicks off the second part of the movie where he gets, starts to get on to what Tracy has done. And I can only surmise that the subplot of the serial rapist is to kick off Andy's a proactivity or just kind of like not being more of a rube or the, I understand what you said, or the audience not viewing him as somebody who's a sap. That's the only reason I can see why that's in there. Other than that, I do agree with you completely. Yeah, it's it's dumb. <laughs> they they could do it in a way that ties better into the actual story or just like a completely different plot that actually makes sense because this doesn't this plot doesn't make sense in this film and it doesn't last a long time. The, the serial rapist plot serial wraps rapist up. Plot, yeah. It wraps up within the first 45, 50 minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. And then it's this other plot, the setup plot, which is, like you said, super convoluted as well. Mm-hmm. A, a, I mean, Alec Baldwin's character has to, like, Jed has to be the surgeon on duty. The pathologist has to be gone. Mm-hmm. No one else can look in on the ovaries. Well, I just. I understand what you're saying. And I think the assumption is that they set it all up that way. He purposely was at the bar drinking. So that, you know, because at the, at the end of his awesome, awesome monologue, when she, when Tracy goes, why don't you ask God, God, how many shots of bourbon he had before right, he cut yeah. me open like that. So I think that that's that, I think that's all part of the con or part of the setup. But the problem is in a, in a good con movie, like we both know you, you need to see that. So you can sit there and, and like, it could be revealed to you and you're like, oh, okay. So you kind of need to see all the stuff you're talking about that I think they did, but they never really explained properly in the movie. But I, I, yeah, I agree even, with you. Even if they explained it, it's just, uh, I don't, I just don't, I just don't buy any of it. I also don't buy Andy's complete turn into badassdom. Okay. I, I like Bill Pullman in this film. I like Bill Pullman leading any film. I don't think he gets enough credit, uh, which we've talked about in the podcast before. But he goes from this like really meek guy, this like uh, last seduction type got taken advantage of is what he like actually that's maybe more what he ends up as and i don't see him going beyond that like if he was a little more out of his element but he's like completely in his element being a private detective setting her up uh like sneaking into the house twice it's just i just didn't buy any of that at all Mm -hmm. you talk about when he goes to the summer (laughs) goes to the cabin or the house that's on the hill, which I laugh because like he goes to the house on the hill. It's the only they do a wide shot, and he's driving right. to the house, and it's on this giant cliff, and it's the only house there. And then as he drives up, you see the you see the mailbox, and it's like forty eight, whatever lane. I'm like forty eight. Yeah. Where are the other houses? No <laughs> the house on the thing. I was like, is this going to be a Hitchcock film now? Is that they're going to be a yeah. battle on the edge of the cliff? Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. So. Like I said, I, I, I think primarily why I like this film is because I love the dialogue because there's so many really good lines in this film. 
And like, I, I know we talked about Bill Pullman, but I love when he confronts her at the cafe and he's like, and she's like, what do you want? He's like, I want half. What the fuck do you think? Oh I yeah. Want? Like, I love <laughs> that. Like, cause you're just like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think the dialogue's always good to Sorkin movies. So like, or well, I, yes, Sorkin yes. upright it. So, I mean, I think that's where the dialogue comes into play. Uh, like, I think what would have made this movie work better for me is if the bad guys won. Because I don't believe that Andy would have won. And I know that's not a popular thing to do in Hollywood, but like The Last Seduction did it, mm-hmm. uh, which is obviously another Bill Pullman movie. But I think that needs to happen again to make this more believable. Like, I don't believe that end scene at all. Like the setup with the stupid CPR dummy <laughs> playing the piano and then falling off two stories into their off like the uh, the well, staircase. It, it, it does. It clearly doesn't make sense because why are you setting up this thing operation and you're going to allow him to come back into the room and confront her? She, he's not going to be the one to confront her. It's going right. to be the cops. The cops should be in the house, just in the house. And exactly. as soon as she tries to kill the dummy, which he thinks is the kid that's. Boom, that, you got it. Yeah. Right. It, that, the kid who saw it. everything. Yeah. Which is yeah, really so, stupid as well. <laughs> what, that he saw everything? or even if he Even if he did see anything. Mm-hmm. He's a kid watching from across the street. He doesn't know what the hell they're doing in the it house. But it's it's yeah. But it's the but it's a great moment when he tells her. You know, again, he has that awesome line. He's like, "Don't you think right now more than anything that we I put the shades up in our window?" And, and yeah, and so it's it's a it's just it, I think it's part of that genre as well because it, 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 this movie's not done right. This movie is not well put together. But let's think about films that are well put together, like like Hitchcock, like Vertigo, and all these films. Those sure. films rely on those moments. So we're okay with that because the rest of the film's good. I think if this film was better, I think that moment probably rings, we'd probably be like, oh, it's a great scene. I think it's still a great scene, great moment, but it's tough to celebrate it because what it ends up towards the end is is kind of uh, ridiculous at the end when when they're, uh, you know, the whole thing with the CPR dummy and all the stuff like we just yeah. talked about. So I, I, I hear you there. Let me ask you this, and I don't, because I, I don't know if this is a yes or no. Uh, is this Alec Baldwin's perfect role? Is this like the bestest he's ever been? I love him in Hunt for October, and I love him <sighs> in a lot of stuff. I love him in 30 Rock. I think he's a great Jack Donaghy. But is this, because he is so good in this film. Like, I can't think of anybody else who can do this. Uh, he's really good in this, but he's also really good in like his one little scene in Glengarry. Glengarry. That's but that's the uh, that, that I like, think he's great in Beetlejuice, but this is a very different Alec Baldwin. This is like a little chunkier, more like movie star Alec Baldwin. Mm-hmm. Um, um this, yeah, because uh, this is like a little bit of everything for Alec Baldwin. This might be like the most Alec Baldwin of the Alec Baldwin roles for sure. Mm-hmm. He's just so he's just He's it's cocky funny. and self-assured, he's cocky, but he's not, you know, but aside from the fact that they're trying to, they're getting money, like his whole motive is he wants the money because he was passed over by um, his mentor, in by Harvard. his mentor, which they don't really explain in terms of how does he, he's, he's going how, there. How does getting the 10 million get back yeah, with his mentor? But, but, yeah. But that's his whole motivation is because he's been spurned that way. And, but he's not he's not as evil as Tracy. Cause when she's like, we'll just kill the kid. And he's like, Whoa. <laughs> yeah, I mean, over after all in all, he's still a doctor. Right. So like he might be kind of a self-serving asshole, but he's still took, taking the Hippocratic oath. He vowed to do no harm. He's not mm-hmm. going to kill a kid, mm-hmm. which obviously twists back and well, you didn't have a problem twisting my ovaries to make it look like a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't, yeah, exactly. Like, uh, did, what did you think of Nicole Kidman in this? She was, a, she was fine. 
You don't like Nicole Kidman as an actress? I've never seen her in anything where I've been like, holy shit, Nicole Kidman. What about the, did you see the movies that I mentioned? Like, did you see the the hours that she won? The I've Oscar never for? seen the hours just because it seems too depressing. I never um, saw her as uh, Lucy and being Ricardo's. I heard that was bad. That's not bad. Uh, no. Most people said it was bad. No, that's not, it's not bad. It, I mean, <laughs> is it great? No. Is it, it's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say I can, I'd get I get to it, but I probably films. won't get to it. <laughs> Uh, but no, I haven't seen the hours of being the Ricardos. I mean, I don't think she's a bad actress. I also don't think there's a lot for her. She's very one note in this. I think she goes from good housewife to just duplicitous evil, like on the drop of a hat. Mm-hmm. So well, I mean, she has it, to have that turn. She's the exactly. Turn. She does what she does. I mean, it's, it's a very generic kind of bad guy part, like femme fatale kind of role. So, I mean, she's mm-hmm. fine in the role. Mm-hmm. I have no problem with her. I just don't think she was amazing. Did My jaw like didn't hit the fuck. Ooh. Aside from Baldwin and you liked Pullman, did you like, did like you not Pullman. like, did you not like anyone else in this? In terms no, of- I like, um, baby, uh, Newworth baby as, Newworth. yeah, baby Newworth as the cop. I thought she was really good. Tobin Bell was so <laughs> generic. Bell like, doesn't say anything yeah. until the end. He's uh, got like just- a few lines, but I hate, I hate a haze in the movie. Like, A, I've, obviously it saw hadn't come out yet. But like you watch oh, this no, movie yeah. and you're just like, yes, now I know who he is. But he also plays such a classic, like it's such an obvious serial killer role. Oh, it was the janitor who has the secret. Like, he, isn't he the janitor like room in, in Saw the, too? Isn't he like the orderly or the janitor in Saw? I mean, that wasn't his first job, but I think in one of them, he was undercover as a janitor. Yeah. My Saw knowledge is very limited. So I'm just, yeah. Yeah. I think in the actual Saw, he was a mechanic or engineer or something like that. But yeah. I thought he was in the hospital. Well, I don't care about that. Oh, this, no. He but, was dying for yeah. sure. Um, that's what sets it all off. But Saw was 2000, right? 2001. Was that the first one? Yeah, it was a while ago. Yeah, obvious. Yeah. Or 20 years ago. Oof. But so I wasn't a big fan of that. Peter Gallagher was good. I always liked Peter Gallagher and he was in uh, Hudsucker Proxy. We watched the other week. Yeah, for like a hot second. Yeah, for like uh, I thought he was going to be a character. So it was nice seeing him as an actual character in like mm-hmm. one of the next movies we did. So this so- film uh, is a. It, so in the early 90s, there were a lot of thrillers and a lot of them, well, a lot of them were set around husband and wives. So this is one of those films because there's a ton of other films. Like there's like deceived, uh, mortal thoughts, shattered, shattered, which is one I've talked to you about a couple of times. Tom Berger, right. yep. consenting adults, unlawful entry, unlawful entry is Kurt Russell. I believe he's the cop who's terrorizing a couple presumed innocent, guilty of sin, sleeping with the enemy, a kiss before dying. There was another one, the one with, Michael Keaton, where he is uh, Presidio? No, where he is um, a tenant in the building. He's like terrorizing the couple he's buying the, the home from. We talked about this. Yeah. He was a, a bad guy. I know we just talked about it. I don't remember yeah. the name of it. But so so, th- so this film, so there is, it's almost like a little subgenre of thrillers that came out in the early 90s, all are, are kind of circulating around husband and wives and either one is bad, one's good, or just they're being terrorized, whatever. I, I never really realized that until- Doing the notes for this. Yeah, now that you're naming all of them. Plus, the, yeah. what's the the other Kurt Russell one we did where she gets kidnapped? Oh, Breakdown. Breakdown. Yep, that was early The one 90s. with Sam so Neill on the boat with oh, Vincent D'Onofrio. Te- Tequila Sunrise? Mm, no. Tequila. Sam Neill on the boat. Vincent D'Onofrio is the guy like stalking him. Dead Calm. Yes, Dead Calm. 
Oh, yeah, Michael. Nice. Good job. Field remembering <laughs> films. Yeah, so I don't know why. I don't know why, like... Was the divorce rate sudden, starting to really rise and people were going off of that? I mean, like, of the movies that danger. I talked about, the biggest... The probably the the ones that the one that was the biggest was presumed innocent, and that was with Harrison Ford. Right. Yep. I'm not going to reveal that here, everybody. Which I believe is being turned into a TV show with Ryan yeah. Gosling. That's a hard pass. All right. So um, <laughs> I, I can't watch any more stuff. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah. So I, I just I thought that was a weird note. I just didn't. I just you know it's just odd how sometimes little subgenres pop up. Um, I mean, you still kind of had that now. Like what? Like when we were at the theater. In the 2000s, when what was the one? Was it Obsessed, where it was like he cheated on his wife? And yeah, Obsessed was, was one of them. Yeah, yep. there's there's a couple of those too. The ones with uh, Catherine Heigl, she was in a couple of those. Um, so there's, they definitely, I guess, crop up here and there. Um, so I thought that was interesting. This movie's originally going to be filmed at Mount Holyoke College in South Hadley, Massachusetts, but then they saw the script, <laughs> and the college president was like, he, last minute said no, be just because of the serial rapist element. He didn't want, he didn't like that. So then they quickly had to move to Smith College, um, and they were like, we love the serial rapist element. <laughs> yeah, they just said like, just don't call it Smith College, just call it a yeah, different college. I get that. <laughs> so I guess Manholyoke didn't 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 think about that. I would imagine they were getting money for that. Yeah, but the the press on it or stuff is still like the optics, man. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite parts is the flying toasters on the uh, computer screen when he goes to Gwyneth Paltrow's. Remember those? Room. I was like, oh, flying toasters. Oh, man. And then my other note was, why are you turning it off? It's a screensaver. I didn't I'll, get that either. I'll touch a computer. He doesn't even turn. He goes into the back. A lot of even back then, a lot of PCs, the power's in the front. So he unplugs that thing. Just you know, mind, can't mind his own business. <laughs> And also, that's really lazy serial killing to have, like, he just partially hit her in the bushes. Well, I mean, <laughs> he had it. See, here's the thing. He hadn't killed up until that point. He just was raping girls. Like, that opening scene, the start of the movie, is pretty horrifying. Um, I know you don't see it. I know you don't like the, the opening credits, the, right? You're not, but you're not a big fan of that. But I, actually I don't like, like when it. they're long. No, I don't like when they're long. Right. When they're, I don't like when nothing happens during the opening credits. That's what I don't like. I don't like like the long stroll down the grassy field and slow music's playing. This wasn't really like that. The piano plays for like 30 seconds and it gets right into the girl getting murdered mm-hmm. or attempted murder with oh, Freed the right. cat. Yeah. The cat's like, yeah. that's, that's, that was really <laughs> creepy. That was really like a, just like, Oh God, this is terrible. Yeah. At this point I've seen, I've seen worse scenes. So I was like, all right. <laughs> I thought it was actually kind of rather confusing to go from her getting like, taken and then just be in the hospital already because i was like wait who found her what's going on i thought that was a little jarring it does start pretty quick i I actually think there are a lot of time jumps in the film that i just did not understand oh like what else uh there's one where it goes from day oh when he finds the body it's the daytime it's morning Mm -hmm. she's a morning appointment he finds the body he's standing there uh with the cops there it's nighttime the cops are investigating and and uh dana comes up to him and goes you know we're gonna have to get a statement from you the guy's been there for probably 16 hours standing in the same spot and you haven't gotten a statement. I thought that was really stupid. Mm-hmm. When he comes home the next time, it goes from night to day uh, in the next scene. So I didn't know like what time had passed, what was going on. Just stuff like that. I thought was very, the time jumps were very awkward. Mm-hmm. Uh, like at the end of the film, when it's all said and done and then the, uh, she sees that the kid's actually blind. So she was duped. 
Oh yeah. And, and they're going back into their house. I'm like, your house has been destroyed. Like, what, are you, <laughs> what are you? Cops aren't going to be like, why don't you stay at a hotel tonight? <laughs> Whoa. The blind kid doesn't realize that your house is destroyed. Uh, it's a crime scene. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like, you, listen, lady, we used this house to set up a, a lady who we didn't really need to set up to begin with. Sorry about your banisters on your floor. <laughs> yeah, your, we don't pay for that. And the table. In the, yeah, sorry, listen, that's just on you, right? Okay, then we're not going to take care of that. Listen, there's another line I also really like that I wrote down. We can get to the lines. I mean, <laughs> I have, I mean, I'm, I'm okay with after we wrap the episode up, if you feel like you need to do the monologue, if you, <laughs> if you want to put that on tape, I'm, I'm fine with that. Okay. All right. <laughs> 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 Speaking of that monologue in 30 Rock, there's an episode where Baldwin is confessing to he's in a confessional and he tells the priest that he's just confessing to this priest. And he's like, he's in the and he tells him he's like, I claim to be God during a deposition. So that's a reference to this movie. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, that's season three, uh, season three, episode eleven. I was just looking for the note. Yeah. Gotcha. I've watched you, all 30 Rock, but I had never seen Malice, so I probably didn't get that line. Uh, you know, I actually want to go back to watch 30 Rock, see, seeing that now that they've the MILF Manor is just ripped off MILF Island. That they're you see that MILF Manor is uh is a new reality show. Oh, is it? And it's basically MILF Island. It's like, um, they were making fun of this and you're just doing it now. That's right. So I think I need to go back to I want to just go back to 30 Rock and watch it. I <laughs> convince Jody to do that. Um alternate titles for this film. Ready? Go. Bodily harm. All right. Damages. I like damages, actually. I think I like damages more than malice. There's a show that's it's called Damages with Glenn Close and Rose Byrne, but that's like 10, 15 years past this. So, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, they could have come first. <laughs> they could have. They could have. All right. So I've got some reviews that pretty much I think agree with what you're saying here. Um, Lay them on me. Roger Ebert calls this film one of the busiest movies I've ever seen. A film jam-packed with characters and incidents and blind alleys and red herrings. Offhand, this is the only movie I can recall in which an entire subplot about a serial killer is thrown in simply for atmosphere. He adds, I can't go into detail without revealing vital secrets, yet after the movie is over and you try to think through these secrets, you get into really deep molasses. <laughs> Malice was directed by Harold Becker, whose credits include the splendid films The Onion Field and Sea of Love, and he milks this material for a great deal more than it is worth. So Wow. I kind of I, I haven't agreed with Eper in quite a few episodes that you've thrown out his reviews. This one I absolutely agree with. That's that's pretty much true. Peter Travers of the Rolling Stone observed, goaded on by writer Aaron Sorkin, who could run a red herring factory, the actors work to keep you guessing long after you've caught on. No one shows any shame about going over the top, especially Anne Bancroft in an Oscar begging cameo as Tracy's mother. <laughs> Perhaps director Becker thought flashy acting could distract us from the gaping plot holes. Becker gets so intent on confusing us, he forgets to give us characters to care about. It's got suspense, but no staying power. Um, what did, did, did you know, like, could, did you figure out the twist or like, or when did you figure it out? Maybe that's a better. Once she was cheating on him, I figured it was a con. Once and as soon as like Peter got his baby. Yeah. And when Peter Gallagher was like, talk to the mother, I'm like, okay, he's being set up. And then when she was like, talk to Dr. Lillianfield, one of my notes is that better not be fucking Alec Baldwin. <laughs> and of be. course it was. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, uh, all right. <laughs> so you kind of, you didn't, you kind of figured it out when they were laying the breadcrumbs. Like, I've, not I've, like yeah. You, yeah. I, I wasn't like at the end, but I also didn't know right from the start what was going on. I had quite a few predictions like 
this person's going to be the serial rapist. This one is that Stone one is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was a little thrown off when, cause I was figuring there was something going on with Jed, but then when he was in the hotel room talking to Andy and he was like, I did a bad thing, blah, blah, blah. Like I was like, now I kind of like Jed. I don't know if I want to say he's the bad guy. I think, see, that's but. the thing. I think Jed is an, is an accomplice. I don't think he is obviously not the oh, ringleader. He's the quote unquote bad guy. Yeah. I he's mean, in love with Tracy. Tracy's clearly a, yeah. a sociopath. Yeah. See, and, um, and I think that that's why I still like the, the Jed character, the Alec Baldwin character, because I don't view him as, I view him as somebody that is got caught up in getting some money, but not as evil as she is. Oh yeah. He's greedy, but he's not evil. Like she's so manipulative that she's like, you know, we're going to, the, the whole plan is to cut out her ovaries. I mean, he's all for giving Andy a cut of the money. He's, but, you know, he doesn't want to kill the kid. Do you remember how long they've been married? Did they mention that? I think they mentioned it, but I don't remember. So it's got to be at least what? Three years. Maybe I would imagine, yeah. Like that is a long con. That is a big long con. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and um, and they they have a couple sex scenes in this film. Uh, between one between her and him, and then uh, Alec Baldwin's got a couple. But like, <laughs> one of my notes. Just the only reason I'm saying this is one of my notes is like when he's eating Chinese food, and I'm and she's like feeding him, and I'm like, there's All nothing right. erotic about eating Chinese food. I don't know what you're trying to tell me here. No, but I was like, who's it's gassy? It's not. <laughs> yeah, she's like ri- riding on top of him, kind of feeding him Chinese food. It's like, hey, get that off the bed. Yeah, <laughs> it's greasy. Yeah. It's greasy and gross. You get the like, uh, you're ruining yeah. the sheets. Yeah. Two, you're gonna feel really uncomfortable when you yeah, start to do it after having it, a full belly of Chinese exactly. food. Exactly. <laughs> it's like there's. Like it's more, like, uh, more oh, low main yeah. baby. Oh yeah. MSG's working hard for me. Yeah. It's like, it's just uh, like, always, she's feeding him and she's like, Ooh, I see you're excited. Why? Pass Why? me one of those pot stickers. Yeah. You know, I can't get off without a little beef and broccoli, baby. <laughs> uh, I just opened my fortune cookie. It says me plus you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I just don't get, I don't get that. Oh, uh, the, the little blind kids watching us. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> let him watch. Let him play his music. Yeah, I like when he plays it while we do it. <laughs> uh. <All right. laughs> Since we've been talking about lines from the movie, let's, let's get to some favorite ones that you like here. All right. What, what was the one you're thinking about? Uh, one of them I really like is uh, when he goes, if uh, Alec Baldwin, Jed, after uh, he fixes the first rape, uh, the rape victim, and right. one of the other doctors is like, he's we're going to lose the patient. When they're in the locker room, he goes, oh, listen, yeah, I just yeah. met you, so we're going to start new after I tell you this. But if you ever tell me or my, sur- or if you have an opinion that'll help a person, that's fine. But if you ever tell me or my surgical staff that we're going to lose the patient, I'm going to remove your lungs with an ice cream scoop. <laughs> I'm not going to like you, am I? Don't be kidding. Everybody likes me. <laughs> I was like, ah, that's awesome. Yeah, I always liked when he... uh when Andy's like, speak of the devil. And he's like, and the devil appears. I always like that. line. Yep. I used to say that a lot of times when people would say, speak of the devil. There's so many lines. Oh, I, in this that, yeah. I, I, I put it in the Instagram story, but I love the line when after he stops the, he gets Tobin Bell or gets the stops the serial rapist. And he's like, you want something done right? Damn it. You call a teacher. Oh, teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I like when, when Jed looks him up and down and goes, Jesus, Andy, what happened to you? 
I beat the shit out of a deeply disturbed serial rapist. <laughs> like, you just said, like, I thought, I thought that's a great line. Yeah. <laughs> but we talked about Anne Bancroft, uh, or Ebert did. I thought she was awesome. I didn't even yeah. put down any notes because I was just watching that scene. Yeah, the note, the 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 critic that said, I think I, I just read it where he talked about how Oscar begging cameo. It's like, uh, no, she's good. It's like that's the other thing too. Uh, and and let me know if, if you you're think- thinking it's Oscar begging, it's because you thought it was good too, and you just hate that it was good. That's the thing too. Uh, see, I think that, and we talk about this. Not every not every great film is is perfect. There's movies, there's stuff in great films that we're just kind of like, eh. And not every bad film, even though I'm like, we, we both are agreeing on this film is not strong. It still has good stuff in it. And that right. Anne Bancroft, that whole, that whole scene between Anne Bancroft and Bill Pullman is she's really good. She's really, really good in that scene. And because it's in a movie that maybe people don't like it's dismissed and that's bullshit. You can't do that. Yeah. That scene is awesome. Like when she yells at him with the jack of clubs, then why do I have your fucking jacket clubs? You she just like throws it. I was like, holy crap! I, yeah. I'd be afraid of her at that point. I'd be like, all, all right. It's like it, it, it. That scene feels like that scene feels like like you know, hey, we're making movies. It's in the nineties, and you know, and uh, none of these guys, none of these these people are all good actors, but but no one's really set in their careers yet. They're not like they're not they're not they haven't been in Hollywood forever. They've just kind of started out pretty much, a right? Bit. And then here comes Anne Bancroft, Hollywood royalty, and she comes in, and it's like. And she just blows you away. You're just like, holy crap. Like you have to, if you're like, if you're an actor or if you're watching that, you have to just turn around and be like, man, I gotta, I mean, that's just, she's in here for a couple of scenes and she's just completely just stole it. Like Absolutely, it's like, so yeah. you have to just be nothing but respect for that. And I can't see how people dismiss roles, scenes like that and roles like that. Even George C. Scott, like George C. Scott is in this film. George C. Scott's amazing. And oh, he's yeah. in this film and he's, it's a small role, but like, He's not, he's doing a lot, but it's more like internally, like when, yeah. the, when Peter Gallagher is trying to try to go get, to him into talking right. about the God complex. It's like, yeah. It's like, uh, hello. <laughs> so it's, good. It, it's great seeing those two. It's great seeing them in a, 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 a bit, I guess it's a bit of a modern movie for us because I was around then, but <laughs> you know, so I just, I just, I hate when, st- I hate when stuff's dismissed just because the entirety is not great, but there's still stuff in the movie. Like, I know this isn't, and I know Aaron Sorkin doesn't, he, I have a, I have a comment here about what he says. He expresses in 2017, Aaron Sorkin expressed disappointment with the movie. He said, early on in my career, I wrote a movie that I'm not very proud of at all. It just turned into a mess. And he talked about how Becker asked him to write a steamy sex scene between Baldwin and Kidman. And he refused. He's like, are you out of your mind? First of all, I just did the, I he didn't want to do it because he did the movie with Tom Cruise prior. And okay. He didn't, he didn't feel comfortable, but they did the scene behind his back. They they wrote it and they did it behind his back. So he he didn't like that. So I know he he's not a big fan of the movie, but the dialogue in this film is really good. Oh, and absolutely. We just, we just talked about a bunch of lines. That that's that's the writing. They didn't just discover that on set. <laughs> well, that's the other thing. It's like as much as like I'm talking about like I'm kind of dumping on the film because the plot is just absolutely out of this world kind of stupid. I think I still want to say it's a good movie Mm -hmm. just because the performance is so good and the dialogue is so good that the plot, even though it's ridiculous and like the serial killer subplot is so weird uh, or serial rapist subplot is so weird. It still makes for a, a, a fun kind of interesting watch. I was never disengaged from the movie, even though I was like, what? I don't think I like this, this plot. Anyway, I was, I still liked the movie because I liked the performances that were going on. Mm-hmm. That Jed monologue is probably that monologue and Al Pacino's monologue of the devil's advocate 
are probably the two monologues that were done the most in the nineties by actors going into auditions. I mean, I, I, I don't have any facts about behind <laughs> that. I have no, you know, I can't give you, but I, I'm going to guess that those two monologues were probably the, probably the part where casting decks are tired of hearing them, but those two models were probably the models done the most. Oh, I'm sure the Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross one was also done quite there a bit. Go. There's another one. That's, that's a third Which one. is okay. another Baldwin one. Yeah, of course. Well, I mean, he, he's a great actor. <laughs> so, and then I probably mean, a lot of good fellas just because wise, it's well, cause it's so, it's such a narrative driven thing. I'm trying to think of a monologue in Goodfellas that somebody would have done. Uh, probably just the beginning. Like ever since I was little, I knew I wanted to be a mobster. Uh, yep. Yep. Okay. Okay. I can just see that being done over and over in terms of like nineties monologues. But now let me ask you a question. Cause this is the first time you heard this monologue. Do you, do you consider this, um, like a, a high end one, like a one that you, like, I'm really glad you saw this film just because of that. Because of the that monologue. monologue. <laughs> no, because it's just really good. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, again, it's Alec Baldwin, but the Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross one is really good. Although it's a little chopped up with some like back talk here and there. I prefer the monologue he did for the Saturday Night Live skit when he was uh, in the. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, after this, after we're done recording, I'm going to watch that. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I think this is definitely a great one. And I think there's a lot going on. There's a calmness to this, which I like. Mm -hmm. In Glenn Gary, he's really mad. And in a lot of the monologues, it's a lot of people that just get. You know, your, your actors get like really up there in emotion, like really off the bat right from the top mm-hmm. i think this allows your actor to show his layers and get to that point over time and it's all right you've got to do this you know monologue in kind of a, a slight curved line maybe 90 degree angle or less maybe like a 45 degree angle in terms of calmness to excited whereas a lot of the other ones you can just go off the rails from the top and like you can tell right from the beginning how people start this monologue if they're going to succeed at it so mm-hmm. In terms of audition monologues, this is definitely tops. Yeah. So, I mean, this movie, uh, it, it was done for 20 million, made 60. That's probably, it's probably in the black, especially with DVD sales and home video. video, video All the sales. rentals. Yep. So I wouldn't necessarily say this isn't a hit. A, would you recommend it to people? And B, who would you recommend it to? Uh, I definitely would recommend it to people. I'd recommend it to uh, like actors for sure, just yeah. for the performances. But I think anyone who wants a good like those like 1990s, like you said, couple thriller movies that happened in the 90s, like mm-hmm. or like early 90s thrillers, I still think this is worth watching just because the solid performances, the fact that although the plot makes no sense, you're never figuring it out before the end because it makes no sense. Right. Uh, so I guess in that way, it's a fun, it's a fun ride. And it's just good to see like Bill Pullman, Alec Baldwin, Nicole Kidman. Like they're just, they're all doing a good job. Mm-hmm. Even though I don't think Tracy has enough to do. I think she's kind of one note. And like, uh, like I think all the like supporting characters, like we said, George C. Scott and Bancroft is awesome. And uh, baby Newworth or baby or baby, baby, baby Newworth. Yeah. Whatever. Niall's not wife. Babies, not like baby's kids. Yeah. BB North. Fraser's wife. <laughs> uh, she's pretty famous, Butler. Pretty good her name right. <laughs> uh, like they're all really good. So I think it's worth watching just for that. And the dialogue is obviously really, really good. Uh, just to counter in regards to Tracy, I just she's the mastermind behind this whole plot, but they never really show her doing any kind of planning. So you're That's kinda, the thing. I never you're get told that not, she's yeah, that smart. Kinda, yeah. 
Yeah, you want to show, don't tell. Because Mom doesn't show, say she's smart. Mom says she's a bitch. Yeah, so, show, showing yeah. us Tracy putting everything together would do would, would probably do a heck of a lot more for her character uh, than just kind of telling us that she did it. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. All right, man. Where can they find us? Oh, you're not going to say who you would recommend or if you would oh, recommend us? I? Okay, I'll <laughs> strike, strike that from the record. Uh, and I agree with you. Um, I think this is a good Saturday night film. I think this is a good double feature type film. This is a fun film. I'm a sucker for great writing. I'm a sucker for all that stuff. So I just, uh, that's probably why I fell in love with it in the beginning in nineties. Cause I just loved the dialogue. And even now, even I was watching, I was just like, I dig this. I like this a lot. Cause it's just so well done. And Alec Baldwin's really good in this film. I mean, I think this is one of his higher end performances, regardless of people, if people don't like the film or not, I think he's really, really good in this film. And it's good to see Bill Pullman in it. Like my, I remember what our dis- discussion about Bill Pullman in the last seduction. And I said to you that I just couldn't buy Bill Pullman as that type of character in the last seduction. Right. Because he was like a bad guy. And I, I don't know. I just couldn't buy it as a serious. I don't know. I just couldn't buy it as a seriousness. But in this movie, I absolutely bought Bill Pullman. I thought he was really good. And I was rooting for him regardless of the serial rapist plot and what that did for his character. Uh, I I already said what I thought why it was in there, but I understand the confusion or the just kind of the mashing of the two movies together. I'd recommend this to anybody. I think I think this is a movie that has broad appeal. Right. Um, I think it's we talk about films that, like you said, could you could recommend it to people who like acting or, or filmmaking. I think they can get something out of it. Um, I mean that you're going to get the people that are like, it stinks, boo. And it's like, you know, I don't talk to those people. So I just ignore them. I go, okay, no, no, <laughs> no problem. You're, you're, we clearly cannot have a t- intelligent discussion about it, but I think people who like films and watch a lot of movies, I think they would really like this film. And I, and this is a film too, that is probably good for this podcast, a forgotten film in the early nineties. You never hear a lot about it. Hardly hear anything about it. I'm sure it's going to be in stars in two weeks. Now that we talked about <laughs> now it. Now that we talked about it. Because yeah. Frailty was on HBO the other day. And I was like, Jesus, of we just course. did that. So, uh, you know, so I, uh, I would recommend it to anybody. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And I'd even, Jesus, I skipped all the way back. Yeah. So why do you why think it's forgotten? forgotten then for everything we just said? I think for everything we just said, I think the performances are really good, but I don't think the story holds up enough to really carry it. Um, and I think that's gotta be because Alec Baldwin is still kind of a star. Nicole Kidman absolutely is still a star. Bill Pullman's still doing stuff. I really think it's on the, on the story more than anything. Um, and also the fact that you can't rent it, you have to buy it, which I thought was really, really weird. Well, I mean, that's the first movie we've done where we usually either can't find it at all, right? Or it's available digital to buy a rent. We've had harder films to find. I was able to find this film, but we've had harder films to find. Right, right. I just thought it was weird. You could only buy it. That's all. Okay. Okay. I thought that was a very strange thing. So if you got 12 bucks to blow, buy a digital <laughs> 12 watch, I bucks? I actually think it was 13. Buy, buy physical media, Butler. <laughs> I'm I trying to look. Buy. Okay, so I said, this was 93. You had, Glenn Garrigan Ross was the was 92. So Hunt for October was 90. So he was he was a star. Oh, yeah, he was, absolutely. He was a star. Because after this is The Shadow, which we did. Love The so, Shadow. Maybe. Love The Shadow, John Amenta from the Pine Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh a couple of those other films that we were talking about that had like that same genre that I forgot to mention. Pacific Heights was the name of the uh, one with Michael Keaton as the bad guy. Okay. Yep. yep. Matthew Modine. Single white female is another one. Hand that rocks the cradle. 
To Die For, technically. To Die For is really good. I don't know if you've ever seen that. No. Nope. Uh, really? With with uh, Nicole Kidman? I don't think so. When she's the she plays the teacher that gets her oh gets yes. her students to guess. Yes. Yep. Never mind. I just didn't yeah. know the title, but yeah. Uh, the Vanishing, Unlawful Entry. We talked about Perfect yep. Murder, Disclosure, The Accused. That's not really that. That's a different type of film. The Accused is great. The Accused, uh, yep. Yeah, but yeah, so you know, those are a couple other ones that we're talking about when we're referencing our these type of genre films throughout. Couple thriller away, killer movies. Yeah, well, single white female. Well, she does have a boyfriend, so I guess that would con you know, husbands and wives kind of thing. That couple kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Where can they find us? You can find us at ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com or ForgottenEntertainment.com as we are part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. While you're there, check out all the other great podcasts and video content we have for you. And wherever you're listening to us right now, like we say at the beginning, go ahead and like, rate, subscribe. All that good stuff helps the podcast. And join us in Forgotten Cinema's The Lobby to let us know what you thought about Malice and Alec Baldwin's uh, monologue. And join us next week as our penultimate episode. Uh, second to last, well, second, penultimate episode in terms of movies we cover. We will do a final episode where we wrap everything up and answer some questions. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So I guess we should probably start saying that now, right? <laughs> the beginning of the end. Well, no, no, no. Like I, so, um, okay. First of all, join us next week. We're going to be doing the 2012 film lockout, uh, which Butler and I have the same opinion on, but we'll share it next week. So that's it. Before I sign off, are you going to do the monologue? Did you want a shot at it or no? Uh, I guess, I guess so. I, mean, I guess so. If you don't want to do it, that's what, do this it. is what the people want. This is what the no, people well, want. No, this is what I'm not that's saying you want. want any of it, but you better do, <laughs> you better do a good job. I mean, that's what I'm going to say right now. It better be, I better be hearing Alec Baldwin on the other end of the microphone. <laughs> All right, so let's wrap it up. And then if you want to hang out and hear listen to Butler, uh, do this monologue. Um, I'll, I'll roll the credit music first. And then just, if you want to stay, yeah, and you it's going to be the end. Yeah. Listen, if you want to just fast forward and get past it so you can get to the next episode, <laughs> we, understand, we understand. So I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And this has been Forgotten Cinema. I'm reading this off of IMDb, so it starts in the middle of a sentence. Don't start fucking making excuses. Sorry. Which makes me wonder if this lawyer has any idea what kind of grades one must receive in college to be accepted at a top medical school. If you have the vaguest clue on how talented one must be to lead a surgical team. I have an MD from Harvard. I am board certified in cardiothoracic medicine and trauma surgery. I have been awarded citations from seven different medical boards in New England, and I am never, ever sick at sea. So I ask you, when someone goes into that chapel and they fall on their knees and they pray to God that their wife doesn't miscarry or that their daughter doesn't bleed to death or that their mother doesn't suffer acute neural trauma from post-operative shock, who do you think they're praying to? Now, go ahead and read your Bible, Dennis. And you go to your church, and with any luck, you might win the annual raffle. But if you're looking for God, he was in operating room number two on November 17th, and he doesn't like to be second-guessed. If you ask me if I have a God complex, let me tell you something. I am God. This podcast is over. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you ask God how many shots of bourbon he had before he cut me open? <laughs> That was my Nicole Kibben, everyone. Thank you. Nice, nice. <laughs> <laughs>